Status is back with a mini episode. If you haven't heard the first episode of Status, you should probably go back and listen. This episode references a lot of what happened in that one. I'll be doing these occasionally, whenever there's something that doesn't quite fit in the previous episode, or maybe if I follow up on an interview after some time has passed. Anyway, before we get into why we're here, I just want to thank everybody that listened to the first two episodes. I was so happy to hear from so many of you. I know that the last episode was pretty different from the first one, but it sounded like you liked it. I heard from some of you specifically, and I want to tell you the story of one person in particular who reached out to me. That person? Kate, from the first episode. Kate told me that after listening to the episode, Nathan was finally able to let go of the guilt that he'd been feeling about pulling her away from her home. And honestly, if that had been the only response to the show, I would have been perfectly happy. But it wasn't. I've heard from a few of you that status has made you aware of how difficult the immigration process can be, even for people for whom it sounds like it should be pretty easy. You know, one of the primary reasons I created status was because until I met my husband, I didn't really know anything about the immigrant experience. I'm a white kid from Oklahoma, so I was never involved in the immigration process. But I swear, the moment you first interact with it in the States, you feel how broken it can be. That leads me to why we're here. In episode one, I gave a short explanation of Nathan's trip to Canada to renew his visa. Long story short, he had a particular type of two-year student visa that needed to be renewed in between consecutive school years. He had to go home to Sweden to do that. I'll let him explain how he ended up in Montreal. The problem I had was that right around when I walked up to the, to the embassy in my home country, the non-immigrant visa computer system that they have was broken. So this wasn't reported much in the U.S. news because it doesn't affect really American citizens. But this seemed to have happened like once a year in this past few years because he had something similar had happened the first year when I was coming over. That's right. This had happened before. The system broke down, and that meant that 50,000 people a day that go to American embassies to get their visa renewed... They couldn't do that, right? So for until this, I think it took them six weeks or something to fix this, all that kind of just stockpiled. And so I find myself not being able to come back to the States, which was a problem because I, I needed to get back to school um, for, for this academic year. And, you know, it was, was going to happen. I was probably going to get kicked out if I didn't show up for the first months or something. So I kind of desperately, I called everyone. I called, like, embassies in, in my home country, but I also called these in Canada to see, okay, what's the smartest way forward? And the people that actually told me, oh, listen, we have a space for you first, were, were the people in, in, in Canada. Just because there's like a consulate in like every major city in Canada. So it's, it was much, they're much more prepared for, to handle something like this. And so I was told, you know, I wasn't a citizen in Canada. They weren't going to be able to send it back to me because it goes through the system where they know in the database where you're based, and so it gets sent to you by courier. Like, I'm not a citizen there. And I was this kind of very weird case for them. And so I met this super helpful guy who basically said, you know, I can't send this back to you. I'll I'll find space for it, but you'll have to come back and check if if it's ready. So for... 
two weeks, I went to the embassy. You're not allowed to bring anything, like not a phone, not a pair of keys or whatever. Maybe keys, but not a phone, not a, even a piece of paper. Like, you get yelled at. Um, and it was in the middle of the day, and it took me like an hour and a half to get there, an hour and a half back. I spent an hour and a half there waiting to get a response. Uh, you know, I was basically homeless there for a time, right? I, I'm not too excited to try to try to stay here, even though, you know, there are some ways I could stay for, like, a couple months more. Like, it's going through something like that again. Like, it's, it's just not worth it. I don't blame Nathan. What was supposed to be a quick trip back to Sweden to get a visa renewed turned into this ridiculous multinational situation where Nathan was kind of in immigration limbo for a period. It was like a more boring version of the terminal. If this sounds like it's overly difficult, it could have been worse. The whole time Nathan had been trying to fix this, he'd been doing so without the assistance of the organization in charge of his exchange program. The program that had been sold to him with a variety of benefits, one of which was that they'd handle his immigration paperwork for him. But that was proving to be less helpful than it had been made out to be. I made all those phone calls and all those things on my own because basically all they had done was like slow me down. All that red tape, I, I couldn't, like it was already hard enough. And I didn't feel like, oh, they're going to help me. Nathan's experience is that involving the organization makes the wait longer. Had he waited in Sweden, he would have been there for six weeks unable to fulfill obligations he'd made back in the States. You can't just like sit around for six months and just wait for a system to tell you what to do, right? That's not how it works. And six weeks is nothing compared to the year it can, get, it can take people to go through. Year, years. Because of his own situation, Nathan has empathy for people dealing with more difficult immigration problems. Of course, that's not a fun experience, right? Like, does that make you want to try to do it again to extend it a year a little longer like no it makes you feel like you're not you're not really wanted here and again i can only imagine how that feels for someone who is an illegal immigrant it's a very dehumanizing process it's more what my experience says about the difficulties and challenges of being in the immigration system um you know if, if i feel this stressed about it from my privileged position, then how do people that aren't, I can only imagine how people who aren't in that privileged position feel about it, right? Like it, 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 and as someone who, like I said, am very interested in policy and, and human-centered design and everything like that, like it, it's really clear that like, oh, this is a thing that really impacts people for the worse. It just kind of brought everything around them. Because you don't have control, you don't have agency, you don't know what you're doing right, you don't know what you're wrong. Um, and there's so much depending on it. hope you enjoyed this mini episode of status thank you so much for your feedback on the last episode and i'm so happy that so many of you loved it i'm hard at work on the next episode and i can't wait for you to hear it status is produced by me matt horton music is provided by tyler van arsdale and ben mitchell the status theme song is bread and circuses are back by ben mitchell and hey if you love the show there's a few things you can do to make sure it gets out to more people the first is follow the show on twitter at status podcast 
The second is go into iTunes and leave a review. And lastly, probably the most effective thing you can do is tell a friend. Thanks so much.